Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whatever it is that you do every day, you should love what you do. You know, there's going to be moments that suck, but for me, it didn't make sense to sit in a cube for 50 to 60 hours a week. So yeah, you can enjoy the weekends. Yeah, you get two weeks paid vacation, you get raises. But like, why would we do something like the biggest chunk of time that we spend in our life is going to be doing something that's not rewarding, not gratifying, not impactful. So I would say the biggest thing is, you know, not always just chasing that paycheck, chasing that money. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. And I have Paul Maskill with me today. Paul, how are things in your neck of the woods? Jerome, we're doing well. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, so the weather's starting to warm up. At time of recording, hopefully things start opening up so all those business owners and aspiring business owners can get that thing on the road. Man, you're down the street. I'm in Greensboro, believe it or not. Well, there you go. We didn't even know that. So yeah, about an hour away. It's amazing what happens on the internet and who you find. I was just talking to somebody in Israel and now I have you who's less than an hour away. Look at that. So do me a favor, before we even dive into the content, if the listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so if they want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on any social media. Just look me up, Paul Maskill. Or if you want to send me an email directly just to reach out, have a conversation, just literally email me. It's paul at paulmaskill.com. That's the best way. I respond to all my emails personally. Uh, and if you send me a direct message on any social media platform, I'll respond usually pretty quickly. Man, you got the branding right. You got the whole thing all the way through. That's beautiful. A lot of people get cut off at the pass. I couldn't get <laughs> .com. I had to get .co. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, with that said, you've exited the matrix. Why don't you do me a favor and tell the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got to the place where you are today? Yeah. So uh, I would say when I was growing up, I didn't really ever envision myself being a business owner, entrepreneur, helping other business owners. Uh, because growing up, I grew up in Michigan. So grew up in the Midwest, pretty blue collar. And uh, the only 
quote unquote business owners that I knew of were kind of the self-employed doers that are just doing it day in and day out, self-employed, basically owning a job and everybody there, uh, whether they're working at a factory, you know, at the GMs, Fords and Chrysler's or they're their own self-employed boss. Uh, they said, go to school, get good grades, get a good job and then go climb the corporate ladder and, you know, get those benefits and get that retirement. And then maybe when you're like 65 years old, then you can enjoy life. But until then, at least you got a nice, comfortable, secure job. So I listened to what everyone told me to do. Uh, moved to Chicago, sat in a cubicle, was working in the finance world. Uh, and it was probably a blessing in disguise, but it was during the whole Great Recession. So I got hired in 2007. Uh, I was literally the last person hired on my floor. And then within, you know, six, eight months, people started getting laid off. So I didn't love the job to begin with. It wasn't rewarding. I didn't feel like I was making an impact, but I didn't know any different. I thought that's just what you do. That's what everyone said you're supposed to do. And then when I started watching all these people get laid off, I started wondering, why is this so secure? Like these people have been with this company for 10, 15, 20 years, uh, you know, and their whole life is propped up by this one paycheck. And if that paycheck goes away, they're going to lose their house. They're going to lose their boat. They're going to lose their vacation home. They can't pay the bills. They can't send their kid to college or they just go into more and more debt. Uh, and to me, that didn't seem like, like, why is everyone doing this? Like, am I the only weird one that thinks this doesn't add up? So long story short, I made, you know, I made the decision at that point that my goal was to leave the corporate world, start my own business. So that's what I did. 2010, uh, I left Chicago, moved down to Raleigh, and uh, I haven't really looked back since. Obviously, a lot of other stuff going along the way to start a business, but that was really, you know, I would say if anyone takes anything away from that two or three minute story is the worst case scenario is never as bad as you think it's going to be. So when I was planning my exit from corporate world and I started sharing with some of my coworkers, one, they're like, yeah, that's great. Go you like you're revolting. Like you're, you're doing what we want to do, but we're not going to do it because we don't really believe it's going to work. Uh, and then the other half is like, what are you doing? That's crazy. You just made it through the recession. Like these people, you know, you still got your job. You should be grateful, thankful, you know, and you're leaving the most secure thing. But to me, the worst case scenario was I go start my own business. It doesn't work. And then I just go get another job. Like there's, there's always going to be jobs there to be had, no matter what it was. And I knew I didn't need to make a ton of money to pay the bills. Uh, at that point, I didn't have any debt. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have, I was living in the city, so I didn't have a car. Um, so I figured I might as well give it a go because I didn't want to have the regret of not taking that leap. And then later on down the road saying, man, I wish I would have quit my job and started that business. Because what I saw was the longer people stay in the corporate world, the harder it is, as you say, to exit the matrix because you get so wrapped up and tied up into it. Uh, and it just becomes harder and harder. And usually it's because your lifestyle and the obligations and the money that you have to lay out every month, you just can't quit your job and start a business and start bringing in that cash right away. So that was kind of my journey to at least starting my business and getting out of the corporate world. And I have not regretted it since I left uh, 2010. So did you prove the concept for your business before you left or did you just go and build your plane on the way out? <laughs> So, so yeah, so a little bit of both. So I was a finance person. So I'd saved up a lot of money, uh, you know, to at least have like, I gave myself like eight to 12 months of, Hey, I don't need to make any money for eight to 12 months. I actually, when I moved to Raleigh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, she was already staying here with a She had a roommate. So I think their rent was like a thousand bucks or something. So I said, I'll pay 300 
you know, we kind of like me and my wife paid more than the other the roommate, but I think, you know, maybe I paid three or 400 and she paid three or 400 and then roommates paid like two or 300 bucks. So like literally that was my only expense. So I saved up enough money, you know, to at least have the ability to give it a full go. Uh, but what I actually did was it was actually a startup franchise and they had just launched and I was one of their first franchisees. Uh, and it was, we ran after school golf and tennis programs for kids. So sort of a proven concept, but uh, I still remember when I gave them like my pro forma of, Hey, this is what I want to do in the first year financially. They said, well, if you do that, you'll be our biggest franchise. I was like, Oh, so then I started questioning myself again. I'm like, is this a lot harder than it seems like, I love sports, I love kids, and I love business. So I was like, I'm gonna combine these. And uh, so long story short, it did work. We hit those numbers in the first year. And then after the first year, the franchisor actually hired me to teach all the other franchisees of this is how you actually run this business. So uh, it did work, uh, but I did have that kind of cushion being a finance person, I did want to kind of be able to sleep at night and not totally just go out there and grind it. Uh, so that I could build it the right way, build the foundation and whatnot. So a little bit of both, but I think if you wait till the timing is perfect, you'll never actually make the move because the timing is never perfect. The best time is now and just go make it happen. Kind of like having a kid. Kind of. <laughs> so funny you say that. I was just on a podcast yesterday. We were talking about that. And it's like, uh, yeah, like once you have it, you just kind of figure it out. And a business is kind of the same way. You'll figure it out. Humans always figure it out. We just have to be willing to take that first step of uncertainty because our brains are wired to make sure we stay alive. So a lot of times we'd never take that first step because there might be like a saber toothed tiger around the corner and we might as well just stay where we're at because we're still alive. I think those tigers are extinct. And I think so. <laughs> and is, you know, they try to get this irrational fear, you know, for threats that don't exist anymore. And so I gotta ask, like, did you figure the whole franchising thing out yourself or like, did somebody show up to help you along the way to kind of make that thing a big hit? Yeah. So, you know, I think it is key to have that guide, have that mentor, have to learn from somebody that's been there before. So with that case, you know, they hired me within the first 12 months of saying, Hey, you need to go teach everyone else how to do what you've done. Um, because, I was able to put the systems and I'm a systems and processes person. I might not have known it at the time, uh, but putting that in place, you know, up until that point, I had like never read a book in my life. I literally like people would make fun of me in college. Like I didn't skip a class cause I didn't want to read. I didn't learn well by reading. And I probably found out later cause I wasn't that interested in it. I rather just go listen to somebody take notes. And then that's kind of how I remembered everything. Uh, but I started reading a lot of books, started listening to a lot of podcasts and trying to figure this thing out because probably within that first year, like I figured that first part out on my own. Uh, but then I got to the point where I was the bottleneck and I was working 60 to 80 hours a week and I enjoyed it. I loved it. We were making a difference. We were making an impact, serving a lot of families, kids, the community uh, and making money. But then I became the bottleneck because we literally couldn't grow anymore because I was doing everything you know, other than out there coaching. So we had coaches delivering the product, but I was still doing everything else on the back end and I literally couldn't do any more. So uh, that was when I really started trying to figure out how do we do this thing? Um, and I would say the biggest book that was a catalyst to that was Built to Sell um, by John Warlow. So it's really about building your business to sell, even if you don't want to sell it, because a sellable business means that it can run without you. So that was my end goal. 
uh, to have a business that could run without me because if something did happen to me, I still wanted that income to come in. I didn't want the business to have to shut down and I didn't want my wife or employees to try and pick up the pieces and figure it out. So I would say that was the biggest thing. And then really just reaching out to, you know, local mentors. I wasn't whole, I wasn't all in the online game of connecting with people online at that point, but reaching out to local mentors really, and just learning from their experience and getting to where I want to go quicker. Uh, because I think a lot of times we as entrepreneurs think there is a trophy for just doing it by ourselves and figuring it out and conquering it. Uh, and that gets us to a certain point that gets us to quit the job because we're going against the green, but eventually we need help from other people, uh, you know, to really get to where we want to go. Otherwise we'll probably get burned out, stressed out, uh, and frustrated. Wow. You said a lot there, burnt out, frustrated, and you know, people pack it up and they go back into the corporate America and say, you know, this is a whole lot easier instead of enjoying the freedom. I can I compare it to being in the desert, right? You you go into the desert, and then you do a bow face, you come back out because it's too hot or you can't see the water, and we have that addiction to the paycheck. And you know, to be able to set up a business where you have regular cash flow and you know life is very similar to what you were doing, except you're participating in the profits instead of getting a paycheck. Uh, and your business is amazing. That's the first time I heard that book built to sell, but I think everybody who becomes an entrepreneur should really be seeking that business that's built where they don't have to participate because now you can go on vacation or do whatever else you want from a quality of life. You have a true stream of income instead of uh, being tied, having a job that you own. And so, you know, I, I like uh, Kiyosaki's class flow quadrant thing, right? And he talks about self-employed and having a job that you own versus being a business owner or an investor. So that's, that's touching. Um, there's so many different ways that we could go here, Paul. Um, and so at one point we, we talked about your mastermind. And so you figured out how to run your own franchise. Then you taught other franchise, franchisees how to run the business. And now you're helping business owners outside of that model. So talk to me a little bit about the impetus for that starting. Yeah. So after, so the, the first fran the franchise that I had, I sold it after about four years, we grew it to about a half a million dollars, sold it for a really good return. And at that point people were like, man, how'd you do that? So I started like dabbling into coaching, but I really still liked the business ownership aspect. So like there was like a year period where I was like figuring out what I want to do next. Um, I started an e-commerce store, realized I hated it, uh, sold all our inventory out of our garage because I just didn't like just selling physical products. I really liked the service, connecting with humans and doing that kind of thing. So I started doing a little bit more one-on-one -on -one coaching. And, you know, what I realized with that was I just couldn't impact as many people as I needed to or as I wanted to. And it was kind of cost prohibitive for the people that I love working with most, which is the small business owners, because in order to make it a living for me, I had to charge, you know, a decent amount. And a lot of small business owners just they didn't have the cash flow and I don't want to take all their cash flow out to help them because that is kind of the life, but kind of what you had just referenced. So along the way, I actually bought another business, scaled that one up, an employee bought it from me and we just sold that at the beginning of this year. And that's really when I launched the mastermind. I was like, okay, I'm going to go get out there and I'm really going to try and impact as many people as possible. So what I realized kind of looking back is through this journey of almost 10 years now is when we really start to have success, we have 
kind of three things in place. So we have a mentor, we have a guide, somebody that has been through exactly what we want to go through. So like you said, if you're going across the desert, it'd be really smart of you to learn from somebody who already did it. Otherwise, you're not going to know what to do. You're not going to know how much water to bring. You're not going to know, you know, where the rattlesnakes live. You're not going to know where the oasis is, all that stuff. So you might as well learn from somebody that's already been it. And then they're going to give you the second thing, which is the plan. So you got the guide and the mentor, but then you actually have a plan to get from point A to point B. And what I found with myself and most business owners is if you're, if you're going on a road trip, you're at point A and you got to get to point B. Well, most business owners don't even know what point B is. Instead, they just want to keep their car running all day, every day. They wake up in the morning, they get in their car. They drive all day, all day, and they're so worn out at the end of the day, but they didn't get any closer to where they wanted to go because they didn't even know where they want to go in the first place, other than I just got to keep this car running. So when we can put together a plan to figure out where do you want to go, get clear on that vision, and then let's map it out, kind of give you a GPS of like, hey, if you want to go from Raleigh to Greensboro, like you kind of have to go like one way. You got to get on I-40 and then you might go up a little bit. But most business owners, they're just going to go around the Beltline in Raleigh, which is literally a circle that goes around downtown, and they'll just do that all day. And they're worn out. And they're like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And I'm like, well, where are you trying to go? And like, I don't know. So the plan is huge. So we've got the guide, we've got the plan. And then the last thing a lot of people miss is accountability. So when we become our own boss, we don't have anybody setting deadlines, setting expectations, when to do it, how to do it you know, all those things that we need in order to succeed. We don't have anybody holding us accountable. And it's really easy to make excuses that sound really good to us. And we can wake up every morning and say like, eh, I'm not going to do that today because I really don't want to. But if your paycheck was on the line, you would do it because your boss tells you to. So when we can combine a guide, which is me, we can work together to put, put a plan in place and then have accountability of your peers who are other business owners similar goals. They got big dreams, big aspirations. They want to make it happen. That accountability is what's going to push people because we get together every week and they're going to say, Jerome, you said in the last seven days, you're going to do this. Jerome doesn't want to be the only person that shows up and says, sorry guys, you know, I, I flaked out and I didn't do it. So the accountability is huge. And I really started, I was just doing a Facebook live about this today. So if you look at people who have really good success, like in fitness, we know exactly what we need to eat and exactly what we need to do to be healthy. But there's a reason like 70% of Americans are overweight because they don't have a guide, they don't have a plan, and they don't have accountability. If you go to any gym or any trainer and they put those three things in place, you will get to where you want to go. I can Google and give you all the information, but what we don't, we really don't need any more information. We need transformation. So that's a really big thing that I focus on is just making people reach their full potential. They can make more money, have more time, and they can go on this journey with other people because business ownership can be totally isolating. We can sit in our office all day and not really talk to anybody else. And that could be a dangerous place to play. So when you can have that kind of personal board of directors of people to surround yourself by, it just makes it so much more fun, so much easier and a lot more rewarding. So beautiful, beautifully put. Um, I don't think I've ever heard anybody put the three together that way, but I think those are the core competencies for success, it's, especially if you're trying to do it as efficiently as possible. I think a lot of people spend their wills for a long time trying to get to a place because they want to do it on their own. They figured it out. And instead of paying somebody or making an investment in themselves to get some help so that they can get there more efficiently, I 
you talk about driving around the Beltway in Raleigh. I talk about heading on 95 North from North Carolina to get to Florida. You'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) Some way you'll get there, but by the time you get there, you might not have much left. And I think that's, you know, to what you said, you can do it yourself, but most people that do it, they never make it across, you know, they never make it across the desert. They know because they get burned out, stressed out, frustrated and like, whatever, I'm going to go on the other side and I can just chill for the next 30 years in that queue. Mail it in baby. (laughs) And the walking dead is what I call them. And so, you know, you've been on this journey for 10 years. You had two successful exits. I assume everything's been perfect the whole way, right? You didn't have any any challenges or anything? Uh, Yeah, I wish I could say that. Uh, But we've had plenty of challenges, as you know. Would you be willing to share a few of them with us so we could just... For sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I would say, you know, one of the biggest challenges is trying to get clear on your vision. So my, my vision when I was in the corporate world was just to get out of that cube and start my own business. And that, I did that. And then for the longest time, like you said, I was just going through the motions. I was mailing it in in a different way. I was keeping the ship afloat, keeping that car running. Uh, but I didn't really know where I was going. And that was probably, that set me back probably longer than I would want to admit because I didn't know any different. And now looking back in retrospect, that's really what I help people on too is, well, let's figure out where do you really want to go? What does your ideal life look like? And then let's build a business to make that happen. So uh, we're really good at putting ourselves last in so many ways. Like you said, we'll invest in anything but ourselves. We'll go, some guy gives us some good stock advice. We'll go throw a bunch of money at that and we'll lose it and we don't really get upset. But we don't want to spend $300 a month on ourselves to, to improve ourselves, whether that's health-wise, mentally-wise, And a lot of times we see it as weaknesses, but if you look at the top performing people in any industry, uh, you know, look at the athletes, LeBron James has someone doing everything for him. So he can just focus on his craft. He doesn't have to worry about what type of food do I need to buy? He doesn't have to worry about what kind of exercise do I need to do? He doesn't have to worry about how do I get my mind right? Like the most successful people, they have coaches, mentors, guides, professionals doing all of their expertise, so then we can focus on our expertise. You know, if, if LeBron James had to worry about cooking and shopping and cleaning his house and, you know, trying to do self, you know, self-motivating and self-psychiatry and like, you know, all the things that go into being a, a top performing athlete, he would never make it there because he'd be spending so much time doing things that he shouldn't be doing. So, you know, when you can really start to invest in yourself and have the patience for that to pay off, I think it'll be huge. And I had the same mentality of, you know, I was a finance person. So I'm like, why would I spend money on a mentor or a guide or an online course or go into this class to learn when, you know, I, I don't, I can't measure that return. It's not, Hey, I put $10 in the machine and it gave me 15, uh, you know, that doesn't work that way. So Following up with that, I would say another, you know, big challenge, big failure, you know, big hurdle that I had to overcome. What you said, uh, following up to that is I wasn't clear in my vision after I sold my business. One, because I wasn't prepared. Uh, The broker said, yeah, it'll take like nine months to sell. So I was like, okay, I got some time. In retrospect, I already should have been planning for that because it sold within like a month. So I was like, "Hmm, what should I do next? And Amazon FBA was like really becoming a thing. So this was like 2015. Uh, 
And I was doing something for the wrong reason. Cause everyone's like, yeah, you can make a bunch of money on Amazon. You don't really have to work. Um, and I just didn't love it and it didn't fit me, but I was doing it for the money and not for what I really wanted to do. So I would say, you know, for anybody out there, don't just do something for the money. You know, if you do something you really love and there's a market for it and you can enjoy it and you can build around it, you'll probably make a lot more money because there's gonna be way too many days that suck that you need that passion to push you through those areas where otherwise, if you're just doing it because it's money, eventually, like for me, we had inventory in our garage and finally I just posted on like Facebook marketplace. I was like, Hey, someone come get this like basically for free <laughs> just cause I wanted to move on. Uh, so that was another issue, you know, doing something for the wrong reason. What's up tribe. It's your host Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15 point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. think your wife liked that <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the best move yeah it wasn't but it did clear space and it'll give you the opportunity to start anew and sometimes you got to get rid of the old to move into the new place so there's a lot of courage there and so you know speaking of courage like what was your worst fear in your process and how'd you break through it yeah so I would say you know my biggest fear once I got that first business to a point where I needed to delegate from like a leadership standpoint, I needed somebody to handle all the customer calls and customer emails, which is like, I can't let anybody else talk to my customers. I'm the only one that I trust and da da da. That was probably one of the biggest mental hurdles because I was so scared to delegate. It was my baby. Nobody could do it as well as I could. Uh, and I overcame it two ways. So one was more from a mindset. When I quit my job, like we said, the worst case scenario really isn't that bad. So if I delegate something to somebody and it doesn't work, it's just going to come back to me and it's already with me. So I really don't have anything to lose. Um, but from a more tactical way is what I went with was let's delegate something that anybody could do. And it's not customer facing, it's more back end, And we'll get to the point where we build the trust where then they can handle the customer communication. So that was really kind of like the last thing I gave up. But I built trust, say, over three, six, nine months. So like the first thing I ever delegated was just running a report from our CRM system, our reg online registration system that we basically had to run. It was a roster. These are the kids that are showing up after school. We had to take that roster, give it to the coach and give it to the school. So literally, that was the first thing I delegated was like, hey, go into the system, run this report, export it, print it, deliver it and start doing things that were really easy that I knew hey, if they did screw up, literally, I'm not going to lose any sleep at night because, you know, we can always rerun it and reprint it. Beautiful. So delegating, checking and making sure that people can actually handle the tasks and then increasing or decreasing what they're able to do or what you let them do accordingly instead of just delegating the whole kid and caboodle and then wondering what happened. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, a lot of it, I've seen a lot of business owners kind of get stuck in that one, they don't have systems and processes, but two, they hire someone with like really good experience. So they say, all right, Jerome, here's your new job and go do it. And then they go do it, which they do it their way, not the way you want it to be done. And then they get really frustrated. They blame them, they get blamed back. And it's just kind of this vicious cycle 
because you know at that point we're really hiring we're hiring for their expertise when really if we have the standard operating procedures and everything in place we can hire for that personality and slowly build up over time so yeah so to your point you know start slow start with things that aren't as you're not as emotionally tied to and then go from there got it got it got it got it and so you know, you, you've, again, you've had two successful exits. I don't know many people that are that successful. Was there a point when everything was on the line? Did you have like a rock bottom in this process or was it just kind of smooth sailing, man? Uh, I wouldn't, so, I mean, it's, there's so many micro moments that at the moment it feels like this is it, it's over. Um, so our last business was actually a dog walking and pet sitting business. So I bought an existing business, and I actually hired the guy that helped me run the first business. He randomly reached out to me and said, Hey, Paul, I saw you got a new business. I'd love to come on board and help you. How can I help? And we kind of put together this plan and I was too, we got it to the point where I was, I was just too busy to run it and he was running it full time. I was doing coaching. I had a couple other, you know, bigger endeavors here in Raleigh. So he was running it. He was actually on track to buy it. Um, him and his wife were going to buy it. They were going to run it. They were going to grow it. They were going to stay in Raleigh. Um, but he was from Virginia originally. They were both from Virginia originally, and they had some family members get sick. They kind of freaked out and said, we need to be close to family. We don't have a lot of time left with them. Uh, so but he literally just emailed me a two week notice out of nowhere. And at that point I was like, I don't know, like they were going to buy this business within like three months. I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I was like, okay, we need to take a deep breath because the first thought that ran through my head is like, I'm just going to shut this business down. Like we probably had, I don't know, 10 or 12 employees at the time, but I didn't have the time to run it, or at least I didn't think I had the time to run it. Um, but I took those two weeks to figure out a plan, clear my plate, make sure I could at least maintain it until we kind of came up with a bigger game plan. Uh, so that was probably like, you know, if you want to call it one of the scariest moments, you know, even though it's just business at the end of the day, um, but long story short, what ended up happening was we were planning to go on vacation like the next month. And so I had to kind of like bring somebody on at least to hold down the fort more or less. So we we're in England and Scotland for two weeks. I had another employee kind of hold down the fort. They had all the keys to all the clients. They had all the schedule. They had access to everything. Um, and then we came back and he sent me a Slack and said, hey, Paul, I'd love to, you know, sit down and just talk about everything that went on in the last two weeks. So sat with him and he said, I had so much fun these last two, two weeks. I want to buy your business. So it was like, you know, if that first thing would have never happened, this other guy wouldn't have never had that opportunity. Um, and, but at that time when he put in his two week notice, I was like, Oh man, like this whole business that was built on him running it and taking it over and buying it is like going to go down to zero really quickly. But in the end, having a little bit of, you know, patience, persistence, taking a deep breath, not, not operating on emotions and looking at the bigger picture turned into even better opportunity. It sounds like it. And so in this one, were you able to sell it just for cash or did you hold a piece back? Like, how'd you work this out? Cause this was an employee that was that purchased a business, right? Yeah. So he was an employee and, uh, you know, which made it a little bit easier for the transition because all the other employees knew him very well. Uh, so what we did, even with, with the first business too, they paid some amount up front. 
and then we did a seller financing note as well. So it kind of creates, you know, more or less quote unquote passive income stream uh, over the next five years, which is nice just from the peace of mind that obviously as long as he continues to pay uh, and there's repercussions if they don't, but uh, it also enabled him to own his first ever business. So he wouldn't have been able to pay for it all up front. Uh, so it was kind of a win-win for everybody. And then just from a pure tax standpoint, if you want to call it that, when you can defray one lump sum into five years, it decreases your you know income every year instead of getting one big spike, losing a bunch of money off of that, and then kind of going from there. That's, I, I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. And you, I mean, you probably get a better price too, because you're financing a piece of it. So it also lets you get your number. And so, you know, what's the biggest difference in your approach to life today versus, you know, when you were in that cube trying to get out? Yeah, I would say, you know, not having any regrets and doing whatever it is that you do every day, you should love what you do. You know, there's going to be moments that suck, but for me, it didn't make sense to sit in a cube for 50 to 60 hours a week. So yeah, you can enjoy the weekends. Yeah, you get two weeks paid vacation, you get raises. But like, why would we do something like the biggest chunk of time that we spend in our life is going to be doing something that's not rewarding, not gratifying, not impactful. So I would say the biggest thing is, you know, not always just chasing that paycheck, chasing that money. And I would say the biggest thing that that maybe shifted that initially was when I quit my job in Chicago before I came back, came down to Raleigh. uh, I went to South America for two months and kind of backpacked around and I Every single local was way happier than any human that I ran into in Chicago. And they had nothing as far as money in their bank account or flat screen TVs or fancy cars or anything like that, but they were way happier. So to me, you know, I rather do something I really love doing in the sense that it's making a difference, making an impact. You know, every day I get to talk to business owners and help them achieve their goals and dreams. Uh, And you can't really put a price on that. The cool thing is, is, when you can do that, you'll probably make a lot more money because in my opinion, the money you make is really just keeping score of the impact you're making and the bigger impact that you make, usually you're going to make more money too. Huge, huge. What are you most grateful for? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So I think just the opportunity to, you know, to do what we, what I can, what I'm able to do every day, I get to work from home every day. Um, I have the flexibility to do it from wherever I am, wherever I want. You know, when we were in London for two weeks, bouncing around, I had my laptop and I could do my mastermind calls from there. Um, so really just grateful for that opportunity. And I would say the support of obviously my family to take that leap originally, uh, you know, just because most people think you're crazy. So being able to make a difference every single day is pretty awesome just because I have been on the other side of, yeah, I made money, but I, the, there was really nobody I was impacting. Like if I left that job, nobody would know. Uh, and I feel, you know, for me, I would say the biggest scorekeeper is when it's all said and done, who's coming to your funeral. And that is usually a pretty good measuring stick of what difference did you make in this world? And, you know, the more people that are at your funeral means, Hey, you made a difference in a lot of people's lives. And I felt I would have done that cube job for 40 years and bounced around and made money and got the corner office. At the end of the day, if you disappear, no one really notices. That's a sobering thought, right? (laughs) And so, you know, it's popped in my head. So 
I, I think of Neo getting a call while he's at work and I can just see you doing that and going out on the ledge and then going back in and being escorted out. But, you know, the question that I have is like, what was the moment where you're like, okay, I'm out. I've got to do something different. This isn't working. Yeah. So I can still remember it pretty specifically. So I was, I don't know how long I've been there, maybe six months, but I would get my work done like really quick. And I was pretty naive that, oh, like I should tell my boss, like I'm done with my work and it's only like 11 o'clock. So, you know, the first, the, probably the first biggest thing was we worked right in downtown Chicago. So I got all my work done. I was done by like lunchtime and other people were staying, to, you know, super late at night. So I would take my lunch break. We all got an hour lunch break. So I would just go walk. I'd pack my lunch every day because I was cheap. But I'd just go walk around the city and enjoy it and go to the park or whatever. And one day I came back and I was gone for more than an hour. And like my manager came up and said, Paul, you know, you've been gone for more than an hour. And the reason I know that is because your screensaver is on and your screensaver turns on after an hour. I was like, oh. At that point, I was like, so I'm not really getting paid based on the productivity. It's like, I just need to be really lazy and waste all my time. So it looks like I'm working till five o'clock. So two things came in that one. I just turned my screensaver off. So they didn't know when I was going to leave, but even kind of the backstory to that, what I was getting to as well as I was super naive. And I just went to them originally and was like, Hey, like I can do a lot more work. Like I'm done at lunchtime. When I see all these other people just like dinking around and not really doing anything. And they're like, cool, we'll give you like someone else's job, but we're not going to pay you anymore. So I was like, this doesn't add up. Like the better I do and the more productive I am, I'm not going to get compensated when really I'm just going to get compensated how long it actually takes me to do something. And I, if I take an hour, hour long lunch, I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, it just didn't add up. So that, like, that was probably the, the tipping point of like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. The whole thought of asking to go out for lunch or to go on vacation or to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like <it> just right. <laughs> Raise your flag. I got to go. You know, it's, especially when I was getting all the, all, I was meeting all the expectations. It's just, I got it done quicker than anybody. And I wasn't going to get compensated for that. And not just in money, but in time. Like if I get everything done, why can't I go enjoy the rest of the day? And ever since then, I've, every employee I've had, I've always paid them on the job that gets done, not how long it takes you. Cause we shouldn't be penalized the more efficient that we get either. No, I think we should be rewarded, right? For sure. <laughs> but to figure out how to improve the process. And so, and speaking of the process, like you've got a podcast, right? We do. Yeah. So it's uh, business owners, freedom formula show. So it's all about helping business owners automate and scale their business so they can really achieve their ultimate freedom, whatever that looks like. But as we talked about earlier, it's, you know, it's really my belief that our business should be the number one vehicle to empower us to do whatever we want to do in this world, travel, spend more time with friends, go play golf, whatever it is. So that's really what we focus on is how do we get our business to a point where it doesn't need us every day, but it also empowers us to do whatever we want to do. It's kind of leveraging that business to, to do everything that we want to do, make more money, have more time, you know, and get the most out of this life. Because at the end of the day, we've only got one shot. One shot, one at bat, baby. So final two questions, Paul. <laughs> First one, what gift are you giving the world? 
So I would say the, the biggest gift is leveraging my experience and expertise to help other people reach their full potential. Sometimes we get so far into the weeds with our endeavor, whether it's our business, we, assume, we take a lot of things for granted that we're really good at. So really helping them realize that, leverage that uh, to make the most of this life. So when I can do that every day, it's, you know, even just before this, I was on a call with our mastermind and I just got like five slacks right after like, oh my God, that was like the best hour ever. So to be able to do that every day and put that gift out there, I can't really put a price on it. Got it. Got it. And what is the one thing you want folks to take away from this conversation? I would say the worst case scenario is never as bad as you think it's going to be. So if you're thinking about quitting your job and you've always wanted to quit your job, one, put a plan in place to make it happen. Don't just go turn in your two-week notice or, hey, I'm done today. But the other thing is, is we have more time than we think. So we're recording this in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and a study just came out. The average household in America right now is watching 66 hours of TV every single week. That's over nine hours a day. So you take some of that time and start building your side hustle, turn that side hustle into a full-time hustle, then you can quit your job. So really, you know, looking at the opportunity cost of how are you spending your time and what return are you getting on that time? Yeah, it's okay to watch a couple hours of TV. It's okay to watch, you know, the latest thing on Netflix, but do you really need to watch like nine hours of TV a day? And obviously that's a little bit skewed because everyone's home right now. But even before that, I think the average American watches like 40 hours of TV and they're on social media for 20. So if you really do have a dream and you don't want to have regrets, make the most of your time, watch less TV, hang out with people who also have big dreams because you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you hang around with a bunch of people complaining about their job and doing nothing about it, nothing's going to happen. So the worst case scenario is never as bad as you think it's going to be. Put a plan in place, make it happen so you don't have any regrets. Paul, this was a great episode, man. You're the embodiment of what a dream catcher is. And so I'm grateful for you with sharing all your words of wisdom with the audience. Is there anything else you want to, that you left undone that you want to touch on? No, I think that's it, Jerome. Really enjoyed the conversation and hopefully this inspires at least one person to take action because even if you take action, it doesn't go as planned. At least you're not going to have regrets of what would have happened if I would have done that. Beautiful, beautiful. Thanks again, man. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.